Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thank you for taking some time to listen to our latest sermon, a sermon about the church in Hebrews. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to share with you a pretty big announcement. Next month, I will be transitioning into a new role as the lead pastor of Pathway Church in Gresham, Oregon. Thus, I will no longer be the pastor at Creekside. There's a lot that has led to this change, but it suffices to say that it's clear that this is the next step that God has for me, my family, and even Creekside. This means that it won't be my sermons that you hear on this podcast anymore. Some of you have listened to our sermons for years and years. I want you to know that I appreciate it so much, and I really hope that you'll continue to do so. Matt Canary, who preaches for us often, you maybe have heard him on this podcast, will be the interim pastor. He's a great preacher. I'm also sure that whoever is the next lead pastor at Creekside will be a great communicator too. Our church values impactful preaching of the Bible. At the same time, I'd love for you to continue to listen to my sermons. You'll be able to find those by going to pathwaychurch.net. They don't send their sermons to podcast yet, but hopefully soon. This is a big change, but the goal of Creekside and the goal of these sermons has not changed one bit. And so with that in mind, I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Honestly, it's like the third time in my 10 years as the lead pastor where I've been to Friday and I've looked at Bryn and said like, well, it's finally happened. I'm not going to be able to finish a sermon this week. Uh, it just was one of those weeks where things were happening and, and it just seemed like I could never get going on my sermon. But I did. I finished. I finished every time that I've said that. I've never stood up and said, I actually didn't do anything this week. Sorry. And, 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 and what's so amazing is I finally got around to preparing this sermon. Despite feeling like I wouldn't get it done, it was kind of one of those sermons that God in his infinite wisdom, just kind of laid out there for me. It just came out so easily on a paper anyway. We'll see what happens. And, and there's things in God's infinite wisdom that I think are absolutely perfect for me to be preaching on my second to last Sunday preaching here. And, and it's a sermon that, that is, uh, you know, it's, it's, one, it's a sermon that would be harder to preach if I wasn't leaving. I think it's, 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 divinely orchestrated that I'm saying it to you today and 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 I didn't have as much time to prepare this week and maybe it'll come out all rambly I'll do my best to be linear I think that's one of the things people like about my preaching is that uh, you can follow right along it's pretty simple to stay with me and it may not happen this week but there are so many things here that I think are really important for me to share with you on the way out the door and in light of what we just prayed about the next pastor uh, of the church. Uh, Today's pastor or today's passage is about leaders. It's about leaders being an example, but it's also about how you should be treating uh, the leaders of your church. And so with that in mind, we'll see what happens. But Hebrews 13, 7 and 8 says this, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Uh, notice that the early church had leadership already in place. I think that, that that is important. There are churches out there that want to do away with all forms of leadership, and I just don't think that that is uh, the biblical way. And what's interesting here in Hebrews 13, we're studying our way through the book of Hebrews to see what it says about church and how we do church and what we're supposed to do at church. 
And in Hebrews 13, which is this chapter all about application, uh, there are three different statements about leadership within the church. You just heard the first one. And the command is simple, to remember your leaders. And we're going to get to that and what that command means. But before we do, uh, I want to talk to you about one of the things that should be a determining factor in who leads a church, specifically who is a pastor and elder, shepherd, we use those terms interchangeably here, I think that's biblical, and then who is a deacon or a ministry leader. And and it's important as we think about that, uh, those two kind of offices of a church, like who do you want in those positions? What do you want your next pastor to be like? And I'll just tell you, I think that in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, churches pick their pastors specifically for a lot of the wrong reasons. They have the wrong things in mind when they look for somebody to, to lead the shepherding of their church as they follow Jesus. Now, I, I, again, I, I say that, but it is important here that the word for leaders is pretty generic in this passage. So, so I'm going to really kind of uh, frame it within the context of, of pastoral leadership and, and ministry leader you know, leadership, but this could apply to anybody who leads within a church. Anybody who you look to as a leader uh, within Christianity even could kind of fall within, you know, the categories that we're going to look at in our passage today. And, and so here's, here's a, this is, I think this is so important. And these are the people that I look up to. And especially as I grow older and, and, you know, I'm moving into middle age, turn 40 this year. And I have kids that, uh, that are not, you know, toddlers anymore. And so I'm trying to figure out what do I want to do as a parent and what do I want this to look like. And I think that, that this description this thing that should be part of our leadership's lives is so, so important. We should look at the outcome, the outcome of their way of life. Like what is being produced by the way in which they live. Now this doesn't mean I can't imagine worldly success. This doesn't mean that we look for leaders who are, you know, rich, who have successful businesses that have the community's respect. Uh, that might be part of it, but but who, you know, don't, we don't look for leaders that just are successful business people. We look for people who have godly, beautiful, Christ-like lives. And we look at the outcome and we go, hey, if a leader, we should be able to say this about a leader. I want my life to turn out like theirs. The way their children act, the way that they spend their money, not because they're lavish in their spending, but because they handle it well. The way that their marriage looks, the way that they treat their spouses, uh, their purity, uh, their fruits of the Spirit being demonstrated in everything that they do. The divine nature, as Second Peter talks about, being you know recognizable in their lives. We should be able to look to our leaders and see that the outcome of their lives is really beautiful, something that we would want to model our lives after. We should be able to look at our leaders and say, 
I want my life to look at that someday, like that someday. Now, I'm going to give you an example, and this example will bleed into kind of the second point, because point number one, if I am trying to make it really easy to stay with me, point number one is that when you look to leaders for your church and in your life, just a Christian leader, you should be looking for people whose outcome of their lives, the way in which they live is good, that you want to follow after. And one example of that is Vic Bartriff. Vic died a couple of weeks ago. Vic was an elder at this church for a long time. Uh, I served with Vic. He was the only other elder for, uh, I don't know, the first three or four years that I was the pastor here. And uh, I loved Vic. Uh, I grew a lot because of Vic. I owe a lot to Vic. And then I went to his funeral and, and it was just so apparent that even the way he finished, it's like how I want to be. The way that his son talked about him, the way that his wife talked about him, uh, the way that his new pastor, um, Brian, who's a friend of mine, talked about him and, and what he did there. And Vic had even uh, a couple of strokes in the last couple of years, which is what ultimately took his life. And, um, and that he couldn't communicate very well anymore. He, he still, his mind was sharp. The last time we saw him, you could tell that there was so many things he wanted to say to us, um, but he couldn't get them out. But yet he still continued to live in a way that I would want to follow after. He smiled at everybody. They described that multiple times at his funeral. He, he smiled at everybody. He, he brought this sense of calm, even as they all struggled to see him, you know, struggling with the things he was struggling with. And yet, and Vic was a calming personality, if you knew him, this was just who he was. He continued to be that calm, faithful, consistent person right up until the end. And that makes me really proud to know that I looked to him as a leader and our church looked at him as a leader because those are the types of people that you want in leadership. That's point number one. Point number two is simply that when you have those people in leadership, you should look at their lives and you should do your best to, as it says here, imitate their faith should be trying to imitate the faith of the people whose lives have the outcome that we desire. I think one of the things that we just do very poorly in modern American individualistic society is that we always act, even think, that we need to figure out kind of the path on our own. Like I'll figure out how to be a husband or a a parent or a friend. And, And really that's not the way. The way we should do it is that we should look to our Christian leaders and then we should find a way to imitate the faith that they are living out already. And so here is point number two. I think that that you should be able to look to, you should look to the people that you consider Christian leaders and you should spend time with them and you should ask them questions and you should ask them to invest in you. It, It would be wise of every one of us to look to somebody that we would call a Christian leader, somebody that has the outcome of life that we desire, whether, you know, that's us who are in the middle age group looking to somebody that's in the, you know, getting to be older group, or that's somebody in the retirement age that's looking to somebody that's at the last stages of their lives, or whether that's a little kid saying, I want to be like, you know, this 20 year old. 
old, when I grow up. We should find somebody that we consider a Christian leader or some people that we consider Christian leaders and we should find out, figure out how we can better imitate the faith that has led to the outcome of their lives that we so desire. I mentioned our our Bible study that's at our house on Monday nights and one of the things that I love about that and I'm gonna miss about that Um, I'm really hoping that that Bible study gets moved to a different night so that we can come down sometimes. But I have a bunch of 20-year-olds at my house, young 20-year-olds, that I just hope that my kids are trying to imitate their faith. Because my kids, they'll look up to me right now. They do look up to me right now. In three or four more years, they're not going to look up to me at all. I'm just, I mean, I'm starting to feel it with my daughter right now. She tolerates me most days, uh, but it's like, I'm no longer cool. She's now in school. My jokes are not, you know, they don't land anymore. It's like, I'm past that. So I can't just juggle. And they're like, wow, my dad can do anything. He can juggle. We're way past that. I mean, my daughter could say all my faults and, you know, like she's got to figure out, but there are a bunch of people that she can look up to. Julie Deeker, um, many of you know Julie. Uh, Julie came to, she's 23, 22 years old. She came to my daughter's dance recital yesterday. It cost some stupid amount of money uh, to go to this dance recital that you pay to have your kid in anyway. Don't get me started on dance. Uh, but um, she paid to be there to show up and watch my daughter dance. And I just like think about Hazel and I think, Man, Hazel, you'd be really well, you'd do well to just spend more time with Julie. Like, because that is, that's the outcome. Like, you want to look like Julie at 22 or 23 or 21 years old. You want to look like Julie at that age. And so you need to be around her to figure out how she navigated middle school and high school and, and college to be that person. And we could all say the same thing to ourselves about the Christian leaders in our lives. And if you don't have anybody, find somebody. Like, have people like that. And, and again, the leaders that we have at our church, this should be true of them. We need to have leadership that we can model our lives after. I'm glad to say that I can say that about our ministry leaders who are navigating this change right now. I mean, I want Ashley's prayer life and Naomi's compassion and Tuji's willingness to take a stand for what is right and Matt's pastoral heart and Annette's willingness to sacrifice for the outcast and Jude's theological depth, especially at such a young age and Daniel's servant heart and Natalie's faithfulness. I want all those things. They're models to me in those ways. And one of the smartest things that I've done as the pastor of this church is not find really talented people to be our leaders, but find really godly people to be our leaders. That's one of the best things that I've done here at Creekside. And I think that's been part of the reason that we've had great health and a great culture at our church and that I've been able to be a pastor of a church that has never hurt my family where there hasn't been a ton of infighting. And I think it's because we've put models, examples into leadership and not just people who happen to, you know, maybe have the right degrees or the right level of success, which I've seen at other churches, and it usually is not super awesome. It's like you find the business guy. Well, this guy's a great developer, you know, like he's a, he does good and he's got money. Let's make him a leader in our church. That doesn't work very well. And so when I'm gone, I hope that you'll keep picking people that you can just look up to, that you can say, I want to be like them. Might not be in every area, won't be in every area because nobody's perfect, but I want their outcome of their faith and I can model myself 
after them. I got to say, we don't have a lot of older people in our church. It's been one of the struggles in our church. Um, We might be one of the few churches in all of America where at our leadership meetings, we say, man, I wish we had some more older people because every other church that I visit, it's kind of saying the opposite thing. I wish we could get some young families around here. We're just like, man, I've told this joke before, but all during COVID, our running joke was like, wish there was an adult here to help us make these decisions. Like that's kind of how we felt. And we're semi, I mean, they're younger than me, the other elders, but you know, we, I think we did okay. But, but it was like, I wish there was somebody here that, that actually knew what they were doing. That would be great. But we do have some older people. And I think it's really important that the older people, and if you're older than somebody, that you remember you need to allow yourself to be an example to the other people below you. Like you need to live in such a way that you can be called a Christian leader, but also you need to give access to your life to somebody else. It's really easy to just live and say, well, I'm doing my thing and we're doing pretty well and we got it all together, but you need to give, your, you need to give yourself to somebody else that can follow your example. They may not be younger than you, may just be somebody that's trying to figure it out. You know, they just have struggle or they, they, there's an area of your life where you've, you've really done well and you know what to do, but, but somebody else doesn't. I mean, I talk about Vic and I think every one of us knows that money is where Vic did well. And uh, it's not uh, because he made a lot of it, although I'm sure he made more than I'll ever make. Uh, but it's because Vic, and I said this when I talked about him at his funeral, Vic at a really early age learned that the way in which you spend your money is really just a picture of what you want your life to be about. And for Vic, that was investing in people and the kingdom of God. And so it's like, I wanna be more like Vic in that area. We all have areas and we need to give access to our, of ourselves to other people so that they can follow our example. And by the way, notice what it says here about these leaders. It, it describes them almost in past tense. And these leaders spoke the word of God to you. This is another really important aspect of a Christian leader, something that Christian leaders should possess. They should be speaking the word of God to you. I would say this doesn't just mean preaching or teaching, although those are important things. I would hope that whoever is the next pastor would uh, be able to preach and teach the word of God, that they wouldn't offer a bunch of opinions and uh, their own ideas on how life should go. I would hope that they would preach the word of God. But it also just means the conversations we have. The word of God should be on the lips of of Christian leaders. It should just be a part of their conversations. It should be happening. You know, you look around, you go, who are the Christian leaders? They should be sharing the word of God with people on Sunday. Christian leaders should be people who don't just give advice from their own experiences, but who give advice based on the word of God. I think about, you know, my Christian leaders, two of the, the biggest, uh, my grandma and my great-grandma, and one of the things that they both have in common, had in common, my great-grandma's passed away long ago, but that they both had in common is they're quick to share the word of God. They were always quick to share the word of God with me. Like, hey, you're going through this thing? Well, here's a Bible verse that connects. Christian leaders should be like that. And by the way, I just, I wrote this question. Now, what if we grew to be a church where people were just constantly speaking the word of God to one another? We talk about in this church having spiritual loving relationships. We want relationships in this church. I think we have them, but we want more and more of relationships that aren't just defined by 
friendship that isn't just like, hey, we talk about the sports and we talk about what the weather and we talk about how busy we are like everybody else in the world, but we have spiritual loving relationships that are driven by spiritual loving conversation. And I think one of the things that could drive that is that if, if we learned to share the word of God with each other more, it's hard to have a really non-spiritual relationship if you're talking about what God has said in the Bible a lot with each other. Our leaders should be an example of that. But our church, as we seek to encourage one another, my first sermon in this series of sermons, as we seek to encourage one another daily, part of that should be sharing scripture with each other. Uh, But here's a question. What does it mean to remember your leaders. I mentioned that this seems like it's in the past tense. And so in some ways, this seems to be about leaders that have come and gone. People like Paul, who have shown up at this church and preached, maybe if Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, but who went to different churches and preached and then moved on. We should remember these leaders. And so what does that mean exactly? Well, a couple of things. Uh, First, it's interesting that this, this Greek word can be both passive and active. You go, why does that matter to me at all? Because of this. It seems to suggest that we should be remembering and that we should also be reminding people about our leaders. We should be remembering it and reminding others about our leaders. We can't just forget the leaders that have come and gone, that have gone before. Some of these leaders and this book that this book is being written to in the church, some of these leaders may have been arrested or even killed for their faith because of the persecution that happened in the early church. And, and so just to forget their way of life or their example would be a travesty. I'll tell you, we, we have this tendency as modern Americans, I mentioned that before, We're really people that are driven by what's right in front of us, but you would do well to read the biographies of great Christians that have come and gone. You would do well to remember and and ask this question, like how would Vic do it? We do that every year uh, in our when we're when we're budgeting at this church. Like, there's always a Vic quote. The, the Vic quote is this: a vision is or a budget is just the financial ramifications of a vision that's said literally every year and it's a Vic thing. It's like it just gets passed down or a budget is not a license to spend. That's another very Vic thing to say. Like, and it just, it, it's not, if we just said, oh, well, Vic's gone. So we're never going to think about that again. Would that be, would our church be better or worse for that? It'd be worse for that. It'd be worse for that. We must remember the leaders that have gone before us. I hope that you'll remember me. I hope you remember something that I taught you uh, at this church. I hope that that the vision that I've cast for this church, the mission that I've put us on, the calls that I've made to our congregation, that those things would still permeate this church's culture as I move away from it. I hope you don't just go, hey, let's just throw it all uh, away because that guy's gone now. I don't think I've ever communicated something that was based upon just me as far as where this church should go. And so I hope you'll remember me. But even more than that, I think this suggests something else. Listen to Hebrews 12, uh, one through three. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. Hebrews 12, one through three follows, you know, what people call the wall of faith, this great description of all these people who have demonstrated faith. And when it says cloud of witnesses, I remember the first time I ever thought about the great cloud of witnesses, people made it this, this very, you know, spiritual thing like, well, maybe we're surrounded by people that have died and they're here with us, or maybe this refers to angels. And contextually, to me, it's just so clear what it's referring to is these examples in Hebrews 11 of faith that we've just read about. Since we have these great examples, let us keep going forward in our Christian faith. Let us follow these examples. Let us be willing to go to the end. Let us be willing to die for our faith because we have examples of that. That's what it's saying here. So we don't just remember the leaders of our church. We remember the great Christian leaders that have come and gone, the ones that are in the Bible even. And at the heart of that, the epitome of that is Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So if there's one person's faith that we should follow, this should be the perfect example for us. It's Jesus who went to the cross. Now he sits at the right hand of the Father He endured this opposition, so we should too. We shouldn't grow weary or lose heart because we're following the perfect example of Jesus. And by the way, when you think about who should be your Christian leaders, who should be the next pastor, you should find somebody that's following the example of Jesus so that when you follow their example, you too are in the parade that is following the example of Jesus. It should be one big Jesus-following parade. We should all be following the example of Jesus, but sometimes we look at the person next to us and go, I'm gonna follow your example because I know you're following the example of Jesus. I mean, Jesus, he laid it all down. He lived sinlessly. He even died for our sins. He was willing to go the absolute distance for the Father in heaven, and we should be like him. We should follow his example. 1 Peter 2, 21 talks about Jesus as an example. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 shows Jesus as an example. We should follow the example of Jesus. You know what I love? WWJD bracelets are back. I don't know if you knew that, Uh, It's like all of a sudden, Hazel, do you have one on right now? My daughter, well, she has one now. My daughter is like, you know, like it's crazy. Your kids, and I'm almost 40, so I'm starting to experience this. These young folk all of a sudden like, hey, there's this really cool idea going around. It's like they put WWJD, it stands for what would Jesus do? And they'll put it on a bracelet and you can wear it around like, wait, those became uncool like 20 years ago. Like that Christian fad came and went. It's back. And I think it's cool it's back because Jesus is the perfect example. And we should be asking ourselves, what would Jesus do when we live our lives, when we make our decisions? And part of the way that we can figure out what would Jesus do is that we look at the example of people whose outcome of their faith is beautiful and we follow the example as they follow the example of Jesus. Notice verse eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. It's part of the reason that he can be an example for us is that he is perfectly consistent. It's hard for us to be consistent in every area of life, is it not? When it comes to our faith, we're up and down and all around, we can go in and out and hot and cold and you know all of those things, but Jesus is unchanging. And so he is the perfect example. He's the perfect example. Now, we've 
jump to verse 17. Next couple of verses about leadership. And in verse 17, it's, it's, this, this is the verse that would be, you know, it's going to be more odd to preach in a new church than a church you're leaving because here's what it says. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Three months ago, it would have been a little weird to stand up and go, hey, have confidence in me and submit to me so that my work will be a joy, you know? <laughs> Happy sermon, right? That's a little bit odd. But, but on the way out, it's really easy to say that. Have confidence in your leaders, submit to them so that their work can be a joy. Have confidence in your leaders, your future pastor, and submit to them so that your work their work can be a joy. Now, these people are to keep watch, specifically pastors are to keep watch. It's a phrase that literally means sleepless or to lie awake, and I find that so fascinating. I'm around a lot of pastors, and they have a lot of sleepless nights. They lie awake, concerned about the people in their church, concerned about a... uh, you know, navigate the struggles and the difficulties that come along with church, bothered by the people who, you know, don't like them and the decisions they're making. I mean, we can, we can just tell you, anybody that leads at this church, there's a lot of hard decisions to try to help a flock move in the right direction. And then you you add on just the kind of congregational stresses and then the individuals, because you look at people and you say, well, you're just living wrong. And if you didn't, uh, then your life would be better. And you can't make people make the decisions that you know they should be making. That's just a part of ministry. Pastoring is really hard to do. It's it's a stressful, difficult uh thankless job. And it grows more every day. Uh, I'll tell you this, we're, we're struggling uh, nationwide. It's a struggle to find pastors for churches right now. Uh, young people don't want to do it, and I don't blame them. Uh, it, it's, you know, the cultural pressures are worse. The, the money is worse. It's growing worse than it was, you know. Uh, there's so many political, you know, things that you have to just minefields, it feels like all the time. And just in the Northwest Baptist, um, of which our church is a part, in the Northwest Baptist, just three or four years ago, of our 512-ish churches, I think that's the last number I heard, there were no churches without a pastor. And that was being touted as, look, we have Every one of our churches, even rural areas, pastor. It's a big deal. That's good, right? That's good. We think churches should have pastors. I think there's like 40 or 50 churches now that don't have a pastor. And they're calling uh, Lance, who's preached here before, who's kind of in charge of saying, hey, I can find you one. I can help you get one. Uh, and he's just telling them, I don't have anybody for you. There's nobody. It's really difficult to find a pastor. And it's really hard to be a pastor. And I want to tell this church as I leave that you need to be a church that places confidence in your pastor. They're not going to get everything right. They're going to make some bad decisions, but you got to trust them. Even I, who have been at this church for 18 years, not 17 years, uh, as we went through COVID, as we went through COVID, I felt like, like I had to use all of my relational currency and I'd been around a really long time. 
It's because people are going to disagree with you, but place confidence in your pastor, your next pastor, and your leaders that are making these decisions as we transition. You're not going to like every decision that they make. I've already disagreed with a few. I've kept my mouth shut, but I didn't even like every, I don't like every decision that they're making, right? It's just, there's going to be some of that. You're not going to like everything that they do. They haven't liked everything that I've done through the years. And yet, you know what they've done? They've placed their confidence in me as a leader and you need to do the same for them as they navigate some really difficult transitions. And whoever the next pastor is, you need to have confidence in them. You have confidence in them and you submit to them. Now that doesn't mean that you just blindly be obedient to everything that the leaders say, that the pastor says, but it does mean that for the most part, you jump on board. You jump on board. You need to question them if they're getting outside of, you know, biblical bounds. You need to hold them accountable. Uh, you need to ask them questions, but you also need to submit to them. You need to lower yourself under them. I'll just tell you another, I'm gonna give you another Vic thing. I said this at his funeral last week, but uh, Vic had two, now he might've had more heroes, but he had two heroes as far as church leadership went. Uh, they were Cecil Sims, who went to our church for a long time, another man that I owe a lot to, uh, and his stepdad, who was a, a missionary for a long time. And those two men had two things in common that Vic uh, really, really longed for. And I would say he became like his heroes in this regard, and I said that at his funeral. He loved that even though they were, you know, for him, they were older. For me, they were old. Uh, and they were older, and they had done ministry a long time. They, they had really strong opinions about uh, how church should be done. But yet both those men were willing to look at younger leaders, not always like what they were going to do, how they were going to do it, not always feel like it was their preference, but get on board and be passionate about supporting them in their vision. And Vic did that for me, and Cecil did that for me too. Uh, Cecil was a guy that would say to me, and Vic too, uh -huh, that's not how I do it. But if that's the way you think we're gonna, that's best to do it, I'm with you and I'm gonna support you. And man, Cecil had really strong opinions. Uh, Cecil was a close communion guy, so if you weren't a member of the church, then you shouldn't take communion. Uh, Cecil wanted to keep people off the church property during the week. I mean, Cecil had strong opinions, but never once did he ever go, hey, that's what you think is right. Well, you're wrong. We're not gonna do it that way. He would just jump on board after asking me questions. And the church in America needs more people like that. I try to be that way. I try to be. I, I mean, we don't even sing the songs I like anymore at our church. Um, I, 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 I'm, I, we would do all 2000 to 2005, that era of Christian music. That would be our worship music. But here we are doing this, this stupid new kid music that I, you know, like I've reached that age but I wanna be like my Vic and I wanna be like Cecil and I wanna keep reaching younger people and say, hey, as long as the song biblically is true and this is connecting with the generation that's not my own, I'm here for it. I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna keep trying to support this and move forward in that way. So whoever the next pastor is and for these ministry leaders, please be people that, that put your trust in them. Say, hey, you're taking us the right way, even if they mess up a little bit, right? Like even if they don't get it right all the time and they won't, be there, support them, submit to them and trust them. And by the way, there's this thing, this so I think this is so important to notice. The end of that verse tells us 
that if we don't do this, if the leader isn't pastoring a church or the leaders aren't leading a church where it's a joy, where it's a joy for them because of the attitude of the people that they're serving, then it's actually no benefit to the people in the church. Boy, oh boy, I see this all the time. I can, there's just a million examples of pastors out there guys that I know that are not supported by their, their churches in the ways that I've just described. People just fight in every single turn, you know, like, hey, anything different, anything like, it's not how we did it in the 50s, any, you know, any change, any talk. I mean, one guy talked about loving Portland and they came down on him because they, he was going to start supporting gay marriage. Like all he said, he wasn't going to, by the way, uh, just said, we need to love Portland. His church was in Portland and, and people just came at him and, uh, I mean, people saying he should be paid less, even though he got paid less than he agreed to when he first started. I mean, they came out and there were just story after story after story. And guess what? It's never a benefit to the people in the church. The churches just go away. They disappear. They die off. This is what happens. But for the most part, when a congregation will trust and submit to a pastor, as long as the pastor is trying to do things biblically, follow God, has the right intentions, as long as that happens, guess who it's good for? It's even good for the people that sit in the pews and maybe don't like every decision that the pastor is making. There's greater health in the church. There's greater unity in the church. There's greater love in the church. The people grow. The church grows. This is the type of church that actually impacts the people that sit in it. Churches that trust the leadership. And I would be wrong not to say that it has been a joy to lead at our church because of these things in a lot of ways. I mean, I was a 27-year-old pastor, no former experience as a lead pastor, had no idea what I was going to do or how to do it, stopped doing everything right at first. You know, we just cut basically all ministry except for Sunday mornings. And people like Vic... Cecil and Jan and Artie and Ellen, who are our oldest ladies, Artie and Ellen, until they could no longer come to our church. They were there for me. Janine, uh, Cecil's wife, they were there. And I guarantee <laughs> they thought, well, that's stupid. So many times. I guarantee they, like they had to, like, what is that kid doing? What is he wearing? You know, like they had to have thought that so many times. And I never once heard about it. They were here and our church did so well because of that. Did so well because of it. Leading Creekside has been a joy. And I've seen and heard of pastors walking out the door and saying, if you guys would have done this and not done that, and like I would have still been here. That's not it for me. I'd stay the rest of my life here and do ministry with you people. I'm leaving, as I said before, because I'm, I'm really certain that it's what God wants next for our family. I just told somebody this this morning. I told my kids about a week ago, maybe it was longer, um, but I told my kids within the last month at some point, even if we go to this new church and they hate me and I get fired in a year, we did what God wanted us to do. It's certain. You can know that. I've loved this church. It's been a joy. And so, I'll end with this, verse 18 and 19. Pray for us, Paul says. We are sure that we have a clear conscience, desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. The final thing I'd say about your leadership is pray for them. Pray for them that they'll have a clear conscience 
uh, that they will live honorably in every single way because leadership is a burden and Satan attacks leaders. That's so true. So pray for them. Pray for them. And by the way, because Paul's saying this from a distance, pray for me. Pray that I will be able to come back to you someday, that I uh, will be able to come and preach occasionally if the next pastor isn't threatened by how much better I am than him. Uh, just pray that I will become, uh, that I will be able to make my way back. I hope to be at the Christmas party this year. I would love to be at our Christmas party. That event is not one I'll leave lightly. So pray for me, but pray for your leaders as we make this transition. So here it is. I told you it'd be a little rambly this morning, and I think I lived up to that. Uh, but listen to this. Pick leaders who have exemplary lives and speak the word of God to you. Remember and remind others of your leaders and follow their example. Specifically, follow the example of Jesus, but also follow the example of earthly leaders who are following the example of Jesus. Trust and obey your leaders and pray for your leaders. Let me pray that you will. Lord Jesus, I hope that this made some sense. I uh, preached longer than normal because I didn't have as much time to prepare God and uh, I wasn't as linear, but, but I think this is really important. And so I hope that you'll take it, God. And, and you know, even as I leave here, God, I pray that you will, um, that you will uh, continue to build a great culture here, Lord. One of the things that I've been pleased with in the last couple of years at our church, we lost a lot of people during COVID. God, people you know that moved away from our state and our area, um, and we've brought in some new people and people that are leading God that have just come in the last few years. And yet, the culture has remained good and healthy. God, and some of the things that I've just said: praying for leadership, supporting leadership having the right leaders. It's all been a part of that, God, and I pray that it would continue to be a part of it, Lord. I have high hopes for the future of this church. There's a lot of transition. I think there's some fear. There's some unknowns, God. Um, but the way that I have been treated here and the way that I trust the next pastor will be treated and the leaders who are making these transitions will be treated, uh, it gives me incredible hope, God, for what you'll do next in this place. And so I pray, God, that in all of it, uh, you would be glorified and honored and that people would come to know you as their Savior. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.